Today on Blue 58, the Packers have had a pretty strong edge rusher group for most of the Matt LaFleur era, and that really shouldn't change this year, even with Rashawn Gary coming back from injury. In fact, if Gary can capture his pre-injury form at any point this year, the Packers might have a pretty special group. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode because we get to talk about edge rushers and my wishes are coming true at Edge Rusher. I've wanted the Packers to have a deep, deep Edge Rusher group for a long time. And really, as I said in the intro there, that's been basically the case for most of the Matt LaFleur era. You had Zadarius and Preston Smith with Rashawn Gary backing them up. Now that Zadarius Smith has been moved on a couple of years ago now, well, one year ago now, a little more than a year ago now, you get it, uh, after the 2021 season. Uh, you've still got some pretty good depth in Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, Lucas Van Ness, and some others. If I really wanted to get greedy, I would say they could use one more athletic developmental prospect, but I'm not going to get greedy today. In fact, I'd rather just talk about the guys that they do have. We're going to work through this the same way we did at quarterback. We're going to work through the same or every position the same way, but we'll talk about the guys for whom we, well, we'll talk about guys in the order of which we have expectations for them, low to high. And it really, unfortunately, doesn't get much lower than Kenneth Odumegwu, but for good reasons. He joins the Packers as a member of the International Pathway Program, and he has never really played football before. We've not really talked about him a whole lot, but there hasn't really been a whole lot to talk about. He's in Green Bay, he's playing with the Packers this season, and he's figuring out if football is something that he can do. I don't know, he doesn't know, but he sure seems to have some unique physical gifts. But our expectations for him are going to fall in line accordingly. I put him in the nun camp. And why would they be higher? That's not an insult. It would be weird if we expected anything of him at all. He's just here to figure out what football is for him. And it seems like a pretty cool way to go about it. He's going to get an exemption to be on the practice squad, and he should end up there for most of this year. In fact, as far as meeting expectations go, all he has to do is make it on the practice squad, which again shouldn't be a problem since the Packers have an exemption that it, that gives him basically a free spot. So I think he'll make it. He's not going to appear in a game. He won't get off the practice squad this year, but that's not the point. He's just going to be around, get a taste for the culture of football, and see if he can turn into anything at all. Odds are he won't, but that's why we do these things. We'll see what happens, and maybe he develops into something down the road. It's a win for the Packers trying it out. It's a win for him because he gets paid to play football for a year. Everybody comes out ahead. We move then to Keyshawn Banks, a 2023 undrafted free agent, one of the more noteworthy ones, I think, on the upper end of the spectrum. A .95 uh, production ratio for his career at San Diego State, which is saying something, over 59 career games. But there are some knocks on his game as well, which is why I put him in the low expectations camp. Dane Brugler's 56th rank edge this spring, so he's got some pedigree, was good enough to put up those good productivity numbers over the long term in college, so I don't think you can quite be a no-expectations guy at that level. But he's also like the anti-Brenton Cox, who's the other semi-promising young edge rusher the Packers have, where Cox was quote-unquote invited to leave a couple of different programs at the college level. Banks settled in and stayed where he started. He was kind of steady, not flashy or really making a ton of headlines, but was good enough to get 
a serious invite to an NFL camp, and that's where he is now. So to meet those expectations, I say he's got to end up on the practice squad. I don't think he's going to get the nod there because of a couple of other guys that may have the edge on him, no pun intended. But if he does edge out Cox, it's not going to be that big of a surprise either. I would bet on Cox right now, but there's also another factor here. Edge is the sort of position where the Packers like to play some waiver wire games, just trying to pick up some athletes or some veteran type guys who maybe could, you know, shore a little bit more with just the experience that they have. Think of Justin Hollins last year. If it turns out that there are guys on the waiver wire at the end of training camp, it might be both Cox and Banks on the outside looking in as the Packers try to just get more athletic at that spot, which is something they historically tried to do. And the big knock on Banks is his overall athleticism, and that's mainly what you're shopping for if you're looking for those those waiver claims, just athletic upside guys who you can hopefully mold into something. Banks, I think, is he doesn't quite have the inside track between him and Cox right now, The Packers really seem to like Cox, and he's who we're going to talk about next. He comes to the Packers, again, after flaming out at two different college programs, was fairly productive in college, was a good athlete, but as basically a standard undrafted free agent, he falls into the low expectations sort of group. He, too, has to make the practice squad to make it, and I think he does make the practice squad for the Packers this year. Matt LaFleur does seem to like him. And unless he has another incident, I think he gets on. He's the sort of developmental prospect where the Packers might want to wait and see if they've got something here before they move on one way or another. And if he can show anything at all on special teams, it's probably worth rolling the dice on one of the more valuable positions on defense. Our third guy in the low expectations group is a very familiar name, Ladarius Hamilton. He's in his third year now with the Packers, originally signed off the Tampa Bay practice squad early in the 2021 season as a replacement for Zadarius Smith. And I got to be honest with you, I learned that he was still on the roster today. As I was prepping for this, signed a futures deal back in January, whenever they do those deals. Uh, And he was okay in limited bursts in 2022. I say okay because he was just okay, and I say limited bursts because it was very limited. He did get pressure on 10% of his pass rushes last season, but it becomes a little less impressive when you realize that he had just 10 pass rushes and only one pressure. But still, that is 10%. However, it's hard to go any higher than low expectations for him because on the one hand, he does probably have something of an inside track on either Cox or Banks just by having been here, having special teams value. But on the other hand, I think there is something to the idea that familiarity breeds contempt for low roster guys. There has to be just human nature aspect as you look at roster spots, you know, 45, 46, 47 through your practice squad, that you look at a guy like Ladarius Hamilton. He's been here since 2021, thinking to yourself, can't we do better than this guy? Isn't there somebody out there who can offer a little bit more? Maybe he's a little bit more athletic. Maybe he's, I don't know, just just different. Maybe we need to look at somebody else. And honestly, you're probably not wrong to think so because you can find guys that are going to play a couple dozen snaps on special teams and, you know, fall into one pressure probably just about everywhere. And maybe Brenton Cox is that guy. So if Hamilton wants to meet expectations this year, he's got to get to the practice squad and see where we go from there. I do think he's going to do it. I think there is 
something to be said for sticking around essentially for two years. Can he hold off these these young challengers? Well, he's he's done it now two years in a row. Maybe he can make it three in a row, and I kind of think that he's going to. Then what about Jonathan Garvin? Somehow entering year four as a former seventh-round pick all the way back in 2020, 2020. He was an athleticism pick at the time, but has carved out a fairly decent living playing special teams, more than 100 snaps on teams each of the last two seasons, and has been surprisingly productive as a pass rusher too. It's not really usually pretty. He doesn't always get home on his pass rushes, but he had an 8.43% pressure rate last year, was over 11% in 2021, and he's playing a decent amount of snaps, especially in 2021, so it's not really some flash-in-the-pan thing like Ladarius Gunter. But he, too, for me, falls into the low expectations camp, and here's why. He's never really been more than a bit player to this point, but he's had numerous opportunities to do so. And at this point, you have to think he's probably not going to take much of a leap. That's why, for me, to meet even low expectations, he can't just be on the practice squad. He's got to make it to the 53-man roster, and he's got to show a little bit more even than a guy like Ladarius Hamilton or the other undrafted free agent guys. And I don't think he's going to make it. His one real shot is as a special teams guy, and even then it looks like he'd be the sixth edge rusher. You've got Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. Now, Gary may not be on the roster at the start of the season, which might be Garvin's saving grace here early on, but let's say that he does start the season on the 53. You've got Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith for sure, Lucas Van Ness for sure, Justin Hollins and Kingsley or J.J. Inigbari are going to make the roster. So that's five right away. Justin Hollins didn't play special teams last year, and Hamilton does. Hamilton, Ladarius Hamilton does. Jonathan Garvin does. If they're going to keep a sixth edge rusher, that's really probably going to be the reason why. And if Garvin is going to make the roster as a special teamer this year, he'd better be an absolute demon in three preseason games because that is really his only ticket to the roster at this point, because the Packers have other guys, even as developmental players, who probably have more upside than him at this point. On top of that, even if you look at it from just a contract perspective, look at Cox, look at at Banks. The Packers have them under team control for years, where Garvin is going into the last year of his contract. It's going to cost more to keep him if you look at it as a, a one- to two-year thing, if the Packers tried to bring him back next year, he'd be way more expensive than those other guys. If you think somebody like Brenton Cox, for instance, is a comparable player, keep him, have cheap team control for the next couple of years, Garvin ends up on the outside looking in. I think it's going to be a tough go. I don't think he makes the 50, 53 this year, and I think there are other better developmental prospects. Moving on up to the more moderate expectations group, and moderate, just as a refresher, is guys that we're looking at as role players. Maybe not guys that are counted on to elevate the team or a unit, but guys that have a real role to play on this team and are going to be counted on to fill that role in a meaningful way. J.J. Inigbari, Kingsley Inigbari is our first guy in that group. Heading into year two after a solid, if overall unspectacular, year one. And if you look at injuries as having silver linings, Rashawn Gary's injury might be the best thing that ever happened to him because weeks one through nine, 
He rarely played, was never on the field more than 42% of snaps. But weeks 10 through 18, Enigbari was out there a lot. He only played less than 55% of the snaps one time. That was in week 18. Four times he played more than 66%. He was on the field a lot. And as a result, he got to learn on the job quite a bit too. And he did fairly well at the time as well. Pressures on nearly 10% of his pass rushes. He was a liability at times against the run, but what rookie edge rusher isn't? So I slot him pretty comfortably into that moderate expectations group. The depth chart makes it pretty clear that he's going to be in that edge 3 to 5 range, depending how many other edge rushers are healthy at the time. But I think we should kind of consider him and Justin, Justin Hollins as each being half of edge rusher number 4. Both of them have unique skill sets. Both of them will be out there to carry out their specific roles at specific times. So merge them together and you get one functional fourth edge rusher. So how does Inigbari meet our expectations for this year? Got to shore up his run defense, maybe add a couple ticks to the pass rush productivity numbers. And I think we're in pretty good shape as you're looking at edge four or five, maybe as high as number three. Prediction-wise, I think he's going to meet or exceed his pressure rate from 2022. He's going to be in situations, I think, where he'll be less of a focus, which is probably a help for him in the overall pass rushing scheme when he is the Packers' second edge rusher. It's a lot easier to slow him down. I also think he's going to meet or exceed his 2022 sack totals. Finished the year with three sacks last year. I think he is as good or better than that in 2023. Moving on to Justin Hollins, he heads into his second year now with the Packers after being one of the great waiver claims for the Packers in recent memory. After joining the Packers near midseason last year, he ended up uh, getting a pressure on nearly 11% of his pass rushes, two and a half sacks, three tackles for loss on the season. He too slots into that moderate expectations group, much the same as Kingsley and Igbari. He's the second half of edge rusher number four. And if we fuse these two guys I have to ask you, which name sounds better, Justin Inigbari or Kingsley Hollins? Kingsley Hollins sounds like maybe a baseball player. J.J. Hollins sounds like a baseball player, too. So I'm voting for Justin Inigbari. Maybe we view them as one pass rusher and do their production metrics like that in our tracking this year. That might be a fun thing to do, just as kind of a joke. What do the combined outputs of Inigbari and Hollins add up to? In fact, going to put that on my list of projects for this year. Let's track them as essentially one player. We'll track them individually too, but see what the Packers get out of their further down, the, <laughs> their guys that are further down the depth chart. How does Hollins, back to serious talk, meet expectations this year? Basically, I want him to be the same guy he was last year. If Inigbari is the more run-oriented guy, just doing to be a, due to being a bigger body, Hollins needs to be the better pass rusher, too. And I think that's basically what we saw last year. Hollins seems to be a little bit more athletic in space than Inigbari is, a little bit faster, maybe a little bit quicker. And I think if the Packers use him that way, that could be an effective role for him to play. Prediction-wise, I don't think he'll be quite as good on a rate basis. Hitting near 11% would be a bit of a surprise for me. So he's going to decline from his pressure rate of last year. He'll be under where he was in 2022. However, I think given that he'll probably have more opportunities being with the Packers in a season-long stretch, he's going to exceed his combined sack and tackle for loss total from last year quite handily. They had five and a half combined total sacks and tackles for loss last year. Let's say he bumps that up to eight for this season. 
Heading into our high expectations group, the bottom of that tier is going to be Lucas Van Ness. He comes to the Packers as a rookie and as the most athletic edge prospect really since Rashawn Gary. I'm honestly not sure what he is in the Packers scheme. He is, of course, going to be an edge rusher, but he has so many physical tools, it almost isn't going to matter where he lines up early on. The Packers are just going to want to find ways to get him involved. He has high expectations for an obvious reason. That's what you get when you're the 13th overall pick. You should be a guy who comes in and contributes pretty early on. But on top of that, he's got great tools and a huge opportunity here. Even if Rashawn Gary does play in week one, even if he's available for the Packers early in the season, he's not going to be absolutely 100%. He's not going to be coming into the season as 2022 Rashawn Gary because he hasn't had time to fully prepare to be 2022 Rashawn Gary. It's going to take him some time to get his feet under him again. So Van Ness is going to have an opportunity to be one of the main contributors on the Packers defense here early on, right from the get-go. And it's going to be important that he hits the ground running. How then does he meet those expectations? Stats are a hard one for a rookie, especially an edge rusher. You're coming into a big big jump at competition Chances are you're not going to be able to just run around or run through guys the same way you could in college. And to repeat, it's going to be hard to know exactly what his role will be, though I think he's going to get a lot of snaps, considerably more, if we jump down to one of my predictions for him right away, considerably more than Rashawn Gary did as a rookie. Just as an aside, easy to forget how little Rashawn Gary actually played as a rookie. He only broke 20 snaps in a game twice in 2019, including the playoffs. And it didn't happen at all after week five. Week six through the NFC Championship game, he never played more than 20 snaps in a game. Wild to think about that that was one of the Packers, well, that was was the Packers' first-round pick that year. Well, one of the two first-round picks that year, but the 12th overall pick barely played as a rookie. Anyway, uh, Van Ness is going to play more than that, role notwithstanding. Uh, but the statistical output is a hard one to pin down, especially for a rookie edge rusher. So I think we're looking for him to just look and feel like he belongs. And I think that was fair to say of Rashawn Gary as a rookie in limited bursts. And they were quite limited bursts, uh, as we've already discussed. So prediction-wise, he's going to play more snaps than Rashawn Gary did as a rookie. I think he has at least four sacks this year. That seems like a low bar, but Sacks, again, hard to predict in the best of circumstances, a rookie jumping from the Big Ten to the NFL. Your guess is as good as mine. I do think his pressure rate is going to be below 10%, and that could be just a factor of where he ends up lining up, especially if he kicks inside a lot. But as a rookie, not getting to quite 10% is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just going to take some time for him to figure out how to win at the NFL level. Preston Smith uh, is our next edge rusher to talk about here. An elder statesman, not just in the edge rusher group, but also on the roster overall. He is the second oldest position player on the roster after David Bakhtiari and the third oldest overall after uh, Pat O'Donnell, who's also on the roster as well, though punters age a little bit different than the rest of the roster, punters and kickers. He too is in our high expectations group, but a certain kind of high because Smith has had an up and down Packers career. By pressure rate alone, Smith has had the best year of his career in 2019 with the Packers, then the second worst year of his career, even dating back to his time in Washington in in, in 2020, then he had an even better year than he had in 2019 in 2021, so upping his career high, 
And then last season, he hit almost the exact midpoint between 2020 and 2021. Been up and down, and then he settled into a nice equilibrium last season. And I think you're looking for more of 2022 from Preston Smith this season. Preston Smith has always been a sidekick in Green Bay. He has always been at his best when he has had someone to play off of. In 2019, he had Zadarius Smith. In 2021, he had the ascending Rashawn Gary. And in early 2022, he really excelled playing off of Rashawn Gary as well. And his pressure statistics steadily declined over the course of the season as teams were able to devote more attention to him after Rashawn Gary was not available on the other side. So really, we're looking for him to be a solid number two edge for the Packers this year. And I think he can do that again. I think he breaks 10% again in pressure rate. I think he has a solid output of between six and nine sacks this year. And he just continues to be the reliable Preston Smith that he's been for most of the last couple seasons. Finally, Rashawn Gary. He should be heading towards superstar Rashawn Gary this season. Instead, we've got a big question mark, which is really a shame. Prior to his ACL injury last year, he was putting up a pressure rate of 18.64%, which is insanely high. In a game where a quarterback drops back to pass 35 times, that would mean that Gary would have been affecting the quarterback on six of those 35 dropbacks all by himself. That is a one-man productive pass-rushing team. He was that good last year prior to his injury. He had six sacks in nine games, and really it was six sacks in eight games since the ninth game was the torn ACL. And just how bad was that week nine game against Detroit last year? You've got Aaron Rodgers throwing three interceptions, two in the red zone, one on a tackle-eligible pass to David Bakhtiari. Perhaps the single worst play of the entire 2022 season. You've got Romeo Dobbs destroying his ankle early on in that game. You've got Rashawn Gary hurting himself in that game as well. Take out any one of those three things, and the Packers probably win that game, which probably gets them into the playoffs. And how many things are different now if the Packers make the playoffs in 2022? Maybe not that many things overall, but who knows? Anything can change. Maybe the Packers get hot in the playoffs and make some ridiculous run. Crazier things have happened. The New York Giants have made two Super Bowl runs with Eli Manning. You never know. But that Week 9 game really sunk the Packers last year, and if you wanted to make the case, and I I probably would, that that was the real end of the Aaron Rodgers era in Green Bay, I'd be willing to listen. Anyway, back to Rashawn Gary. What are our expectations for him this year? He's in our high group, as we mentioned, but what do they actually look like? Because I think it's hard to say that they're not different than they would be in a normal year. They just are. Coming back from an ACL injury is hard, and we've seen how different it can be from one player to the next. David Bakhtiari had setback after setback. Some sort of ancient curse appears to have affected him, and it got its last revenge on him with a burst appendix late last season. Elton Jenkins, too, took some time. Going back a little bit further, Jordy Nelson did come back, but it took him half a season to really get back to the point where his legs were really seemed to be under him in 2016. And even then, he was never really the same player he was pre-ACL. And then you've got Josiah DeGuara, 
who comes back and really just looks like the same guy who always was. So it can be different from one guy to the next. Figuring out what that's going to look like for Rashawn Gary is going to be interesting. But for his part, he looks like he's adjusted to it really, really well. He had his first press availability this week. Uh, He talked a lot about what his mindset was like, and he seems like he's really in a good place. In fact, I, he really caught me off guard with one answer. I think it was Ryan Wood asked him, you know, what his mindset was like after the injury. And he gave a really positive sounding answer. Maybe it's athlete speak, maybe it isn't, but you know, judge for yourself. Here's what he said. What was your mindset like after the injury? It really wasn't that hard, man. Like once I got hurt, my focus, it really wasn't on me. It wasn't about what I was doing. It was really on this team. Um, you know, we had young guys, you know, JJ, he was able to get some experience, but you know, that's, that's what I was thinking about, man. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about what I was going through. I was really just thinking about just, you know, I, you just laying down this team, bro. You feel me? Like, I, I love these guys, love the organization, love the opportunity, the chances that they gave me. But, you know, when I got hurt, I wasn't thinking about me. I was thinking about how to help this team from where I can and what can I do. You can believe that. You can not believe that. But there were a lot of answers that came along those lines in his 10-minute talk with reporters in the Lambeau Field locker room. I tend to believe him. And if he's carrying that mindset into the last stages of his rehab and into the start of the 2023 season, hard to bet against Rashawn Gary at this point. So how does he meet expectations then? If we still have high expectations for him, if we still want him to be their leading edge rusher once he, he comes back, what does meeting expectations look like? Much like Lucas Van Ness, it's hard to put numbers on it. We don't know what he's going to be like in terms of availability this year. But I think asking him to get back to being the Batman in the superhero room that is the, the edge rusher group is basically what we're looking for. The Packers have a bunch of guys that are, are kind of sidekicks right now, a bunch of Robins. But if Rashawn Gary is there and he can be Batman, then everybody else's role makes a lot more sense. I like the edge rusher group overall, but they need a lead dog. And no one is that guy in the room right now that other teams have to game plan around. And when he's healthy, Rashawn Gary is, and nobody else can really match that in a way that he can. And he needs to be that at some point this season. I'm not saying right away. I'm not saying the first time he's back on the field, he needs to be that sort of player. But getting back to being that kind of player is what it's going to take to have a season that we would say meets expectations this year. Prediction-wise, I think his pressure rate is going to go down this year. He's just going to be a different player post-ACL. That seems like a pretty safe bet. And I think he's going to be under 13.5%. That would put him back where he was essentially as a second-year player, where he was very good but not quite great yet. I think it's easy to forget how good he was in year two as well. I still think he gets to at least six sacks this year, at least six but probably not more than 10. Not sure where he's going to be playing time-wise. We're really not sure how many games he's going to play, but I think at least six, not more than 10, seems like a pretty good range. I also want to say he's going to play in at least 10 games, but I don't want to go much higher than that this year. Here's why. If he ends up starting the year on the physically unable to perform list, that would put him out for the first six weeks of the season. Now, the Packers have a week six bye this year, which you'd probably say, hey, He's going to come back after week six, you know, physically unable to perform. First five, first five games of the season, he's down anyway. Packers go on their bye. He comes back after week six and is ready to go for week seven. However, the Packers' first game after the bye is at Denver. 
You probably don't want to throw him out for his first game action at high altitude. It's going to take him some time to get his sea legs. That is probably not the place for him to do it. But then week eight is at home against the Vikings, and that strikes me as being a pretty good target date if Gary isn't ready to go at the start of training camp. Put him on the physically unable to perform list, sits out the first six weeks, sit him down against Denver, don't play him in high altitude, bring him back for week eight. On top of that, he tore his ACL last year on November 6th. Week eight would be October 29th, which is just under a year. That is a guess, but it seems like a pretty, if you're looking for a target date, and this is with the caveat, if he doesn't, if he isn't ready to go at the start of the regular season, week eight seems like a pretty good bet for Rashawn Gary to be back. But that's the edge rusher room. There's a lot to like here. It's a really unique and interesting group. There's a lot of depth here. You could really, if if Rashawn Gary comes back and is healthy, you could say the Packers are really going five deep here with guys you like pretty well. Sure, run defense may be an issue with some of these guys, but not necessarily their primary responsibility either. And I think the guys they have can be good enough to fill a variety of different roles in a way that really sets them up to be a crucial part of this Packers defense, which, if not successful, is at the very least pretty talented. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.